Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite states of media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous, immortal, uh, amazing, super awesome co-host, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Excelsior. <laughs> all right. Well, there's a reason for all the epitaphs there. Uh, first is that we are going to be talking about, well, a broad topic today. I asked uh, you folks out there uh, who are our listeners, and you seem to think that this was a really great idea. So today... We are going to be talking about the history and story of She-Hulk, uh, a character that has been around for longer than some people think and has... 1980. 1980, guys. First issue of her comic was 1980. 1980. Um, so before I get into that, I'm going to do the whole basic uh, spiel here for you folks. Uh, if you have questions for the show or if you have a topic that you want us to cover, be sure to send them in to us. You can send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, specify the show that it's for. Uh, you can also hit us up on our Discord server. We have a Patreon Q and podcast question channel where we do look first as a way of saying thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, if you can't support us on Patreon and don't want to send us an email, you can go ahead and send us a message in our Q and podcast questions channel there. Uh, and also, I do respond to Twitter inquiries. So not all the time, but uh, when I have bandwidth and in you folks, I do see it. I may not reply, but I do see it. So, you know, if you have ideas and you want to send them that way, feel free to do so. So. We're going to start with She-Hulk, which was an interesting character. I'm going to, a little tidbit that I thought was actually really entertaining. I don't think a lot of people know. She-Hulk was actually the last character that Stanley created before his return to comics 12 years later. So this is the and, last. Yeah. I also want to kick in something else here because sure. while Joe's talking about that, a lot of people in reaction to the She-Hulk TV series have been like, oh, the Hulk, but a girl, what would Stanley say? Stanley made the character. Yes. So he would say, I made the character, just like he did for every other character he made, because whatever you think of Stanley, the dude wasn't shy. No, not at all. It's just it's so ridiculous. Oh, you know, this is a character who's been around longer than you, Chad. I was going to say, in a lot of cases, a lot of the people that are complaining about the character in general, she's existed longer than you've been alive. Yes, uh, she's, she is this year, 42 years old. She is indeed. Now, the interesting thing is that the birth of the character actually started from a very odd place uh, and actually was a reaction to the success of the Incredible Hulk TV series at the time. If you've ever heard mm -hmm. the uh, the wa sad walking away music uh, that... Da -da -da -da. Yeah. Which, if you are, it's been featured on shows like Family Guy, and it's become kind of like an internet meme. You've probably seen it at some point. That's where that comes from. It's from that TV show, but it was incredibly popular uh, with Lou Ferrigno playing the Hulk. Um, now, and, uh, Bill Bixby as as David Michael, David Brian Banner. Correct. Now, the creation of She Hulk is actually because they were afraid that at the time that the uh, show's executives would suddenly introduce a female Hulk resembling the bionic woman, which was also a popular TV show at the time. So Marvel decided to make a female Hulk so that if a character like this should pop up on television, they'd have the rights to it. Even back then folks, Marvel was still trying to secure the rights. Little thing here. One of the reasons Marvel was so cognizant of this possibly happening is that Marvel had created the character called Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. But the Captain Marvel that they created was created some 40 years after the original Captain Marvel, who was created by Fawcett Comics. And eventually, DC Comics sued Fawcett Comics, uh, saying that their Captain Marvel was basically just Superman in a different outfit. The case went back and forth, but eventually Fawcett just ran out of money. 
and DC ended up owning Captain Marvel. But Marvel, seeking, seeing that DC hadn't kept the book in continuous publication, struck in and made their Captain Marvel and then went to court against DC and said, hey, they let it flaps. We have a Captain Marvel. So he should be the only, we should be given the trademark and the copyright. Mm-hmm. And they won the case. That's why there's a movie called Shazam and a movie called Captain Marvel when both characters would have theoretically been Captain Marvel. Uh, DC actually lost the right to call their character that and they have to start calling him Shazam, which is funny because that's the word he says when he turns into Shazam and he can't very well tell people his own name now. Um, but as a result of that case, both comic book publishers were very cognizant of the fact that if you had a character and you wanted to make sure nobody decided to come along and do a tie off where it was a kid or a woman or what have you, you needed to have those characters yourself. And that's something Stan Lee was very cognizant of when he made She-Hulk. Now, to say that She-Hulk was not quite the same character as she is today in the comics and in the TV show, I think might be a little bit of an understatement. Uh, it's um, I'm trying really hard not to interrupt Joe every 10 seconds because <laughs> um, this is, this one is, a, of char- this is a character yeah. we feel very strongly about. And I, Matt has good reason. So go ahead. I'm going to like wait until you're done and then I'll try to say something. So. In her early uh, appearances, she wound up becoming a very well, well, she was, in fact, a lawyer um, and also a supermodel because that was a thing. Um, she was also hypersexualized in the comics as well, which was part and parcel for females uh, represented in comics almost universally across the board uh, from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. It isn't until recently that we really started moving away from that hypersexualization. Um, and I'm not saying that as in, you know, female characters can't be sexy. It's, it was like in some cases downright disgusting and dirty. And well, I'm going to let, let Matt talk here. Well, first off the original, I guess, I don't remember how many issues it was. I don't, wasn't very many issues. Her original run. Um, she was basically just the Hulk, but a woman. Like mm-hmm. there, there wasn't like no characterization. She didn't have anything. She just got met. You know, Jennifer, Jennifer Walters, the was a, was a person with a, with a, her own origin and all that stuff. She was a different person than Bruce Banner, but the she Hulk was basically just the Hulk in a ripped dress. Yeah. And they, that they was, I think that was until the first year and first anniversary, right? I think that was in 1981. I, I don't remember how long is unfortunately the case. Cause it was, because sa- it was, it was been, a savage. She Hulk, right? Yeah. Savage. She Hulk. She was basically just the Hulk. Um, at some point, she did. They did start changing her, but it wasn't until John Byrne, who at the time was the writer and artist on Fantastic Four, and previously he had been the artist on X Men, and he was like he was at this time he was a really big deal. He he basically could write his own check in comics, and he said, "I want Fantastic Four." And they gave him Fantastic Four, and he did a run that was quite popular and well received. He also did the uh, Avengers when, in 1983 too, right? Like he, yeah, he, very he was doing art on the Avengers, yeah, but he was uh, he was also writing and drawing fantastic four and he and he did some stories that were really well received uh at this time the secret wars comic came out she hulk was in that she'd been in the avengers at the time this was 1984 Uh, i want to say yeah about the 84 85 um when secret wars came out the decision was made by somebody other than burn uh by the editor-in-chief jim shooter who was writing that to keep the thing on the the world from secret wars the battle world Mm mm-hmm and he didn't go back because on the battle world, he could change back into Ben Grimm and stay that way. Uh, as a result of this, Byrne was like, okay, I don't, I, this is a book called fantastic four. And you just took one of them. Uh, that it's not fantastic three. 
Uh, so he basically said, all right, I'm going to have to put somebody else in. And this has happened before in the Fantastic Four's run. They'd had numerous replacements for other characters. Um, but he decided to put She-Hulk in. And as a result of that, he got to write a graphic novel that was just a She-Hulk graphic novel. And this is where Jen as a sexualized, hyper-sexualized character really comes from. Uh, one of the things Byrne put in was that Jen loved being the She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Because the She-Hulk is a six and a half, seven foot tall uh, you know, bodybuilder with, you know, green skin and hair. She's, she gets to be vivacious. She's more outgoing. And it's like, that's her Hulk split is that instead of being rage filled all the time, she was fun. She enjoyed confident. Being the, yeah. Yeah. Confident, assertive, which, you know, I don't think people get to be lawyers without a little bit of that anyway, but they, they clearly hyped it up for the she Hulk at the end of that graphic novel. She gets exposed to, to more radiation and it locks her in her She-Hulk form. And in, in the Hulk comic, that would have been a horrible thing. And they would have had Bruce Banner struggling to get his mind back and, you know, blah, blah. For She-Hulk, it was like, okay, so I'll just be the Hulk, be, well, be She-Hulk all the time. Because at this point, and this is something that needs to be clarified, she didn't lose herself when she became the Hulk like Banner no, did. Because, absolutely didn't. Because unlike, and they do show this in the show too, which I think is a really important thing that they touch on. And I don't think people realize how important that was. Banner's journey to come to grips with his Hulk, his rage, his, his everything wasn't just coming to grips with his rage. It was highlighting the fact that he had a fractured psyche. He had yeah. multiple personalities inside of him that, that he had locked yeah. away. He had that before he became yeah, exactly. Whereas his father was extremely abusive. His life was hell. He, he, he had a damaged psyche from the get go. Jen didn't Jen had a perfectly good family life. She loved her dad. She had a good job. You know, she, her, her it's, life was not perfect, but it was normal. It also, interestingly enough, she's only one of two Hulks that have ever had that start. The other one being Doc Samson. Every other Hulk has had some form of uh, either personality split or disorder or something that caused them to lose control. Whether it was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I can never remember his name, uh, when he turned into to Sasquatch, um, Oh, oh, Walter Lankowski. Yeah, Walter, Walter Lankowski was on the fence as whether or not he even was a gamma mutant. Yeah, he was on the fence of it, but also like he was struggling with self-loathing and mm-hmm. you know poor perception on top of having to uh, perform all the time and be constantly on and yeah, be and this charismatic he, person, yeah. right? Everyone thought he was clown shoes as a scientist because he was a football player uh-huh. who was also interested in physics, and they didn't think he could really be a physicist. So he kind of had reverse, uh, you know, nerd prejudice. They, everyone thought he wasn't geeky enough to do it um but another one to talk about is of all people the the on and off again wife slash ex-wife say slash love interest slash not love interest uh betty ross yeah oh yeah. ross daughter she had first off her father was an overbearing madman uh just just shy of complete lunacy uh she had a repressed urge you know she had repressed most of her urges all her life when she first got exposed to gamma radiation she turned into a into a man-eating bird monster a harpy like that is the name of the The character is harpy yeah then later on when she supposedly dies and this gets tied in by the al ewing stuff later this is going to go on and on but so we're going to try and we're going to be all over the place for the hulk stuff folks sorry but um basically when she comes back from that her father has her exposed to gamma and cosmic rays that transform her into another she hulk except Unlike Jen, who is a perfectly, I want to say Jen is the closest thing to a flat out regular superhero that you're going to get in a Hulk. Whereas Betty as the red She-Hulk was violence and all her suppressed urges 
out in front. Yeah, she was impulse like, impulse personified. Yeah, she was like the id, just just id. Now she wasn't as messed up as Bruce because nobody is as messed up as Bruce. Uh, but yeah, and when Rick Jones became the A bomb, which was basically another form of the abomination, or when Emil Blonsky became the abomination, or when Samuel Stearns became the leader, there's always something about their their personality that gets brought forth. Mm-hmm. Um. But in the case of Jen, what got brought forth was that she was a kind, happy, helpful person. She who she, wanted to do, you know, wanted to be fun and, and help people. She also didn't have to be small anymore. And this is sort of a, a writing of a characterization that I think still resonates today, right? It's mm-hmm. this this world of misogyny, this world of of men sort of dominating the space and writing off women or ignoring women. Or at the time in the directly 80s, harassing women. directly harassing women and having it be be taught as culturally acceptable. She didn't have to deal with that anymore. As the She-Hulk, she could fight back. She could literally kill them if she wanted to. She didn't, but she or could. Or just, you know, humiliate them or what have you. Or humiliate them. Yeah. Or you, we, we see that, like, again, if you're not familiar with the character, but you've watched the show, you see that. They definitely show... Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. like the wrecking crew and everything else, they show that. Yeah, and so basically, from from the time Byrne got her, and Byrne did wrote her stories in Fantastic Four, and then in her own book, and there's stuff Byrne did right. And I don't want to make this. This could very easily turn into a Matt tells you all the ways John Byrne is terrifying, uh, very easily. And I'm not going to do that because this is not a show about John Byrne. If we ever do a show about John Byrne, believe me, I will be there with receipts. But I will say that he did one of the things he did right was he made it a fourth wall breaking book and she Hulk worked so well as a fourth wall breaking character that she was basically a nicer, not crazy Deadpool before Deadpool. Yeah. She was the first character to really break the fourth wall. Like a lot of people think Deadpool was, and that's not the case. Yeah. Like it was uh Jen on the D on the Marvel side. It was uh, the she Hulk and over on the DC side, it was ambush bug. Yep. And they both came out around the same time. So, but um, Burns' fourth wall breaking for for Jen was very gentle. It, it, it was more of a, she was just aware that she was in a comic book. She was aware it, that this was ridiculous. And she would, every so often, she would call the writer of the comic book, John Byrne, out for for the more egregious things he did. Like trying to make her t- jump rope naked for a cover. Yeah. And she she flat out was like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But this is akin to something. There. This is akin to something that we started to see in popular media as well, because during this time frame, you started to see movies and TV shows where the character would stop and address the 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 audience directly, and it's a trend that would continue on for a good chunk of the eighties and early nineties, especially yeah, your with Ferris like Bueller's, your Malcolm's in the middles. Yeah. It, yeah. Like shows like that or, um, saved by the bell, uh, things shows that we grew up with and that we maybe take for Parker Lewis can't lose is another one, uh, that you may not have thought very much has its roots really here and around this time frame. Yeah. It's the fourth wall breaking is very much, uh, it's one of the things that set she Hulk apart as, as a published comic. Um, Throughout that period, I would say throughout the 80s, She-Hulk was a character who was very popular. She was around quite a bit, but her characterization kind of got flat because of writers like Byrne, who basically just focused on the, you know, well, she's hot, Mm -hmm. you know, then that was all that it was. Um, And it's not the character's fault. It's it's the writing. Um, Do you want to talk about some of the panels that you like we were talking about before the show? One of the books Byrne did, he did an entire issue about She-Hulk 
getting the, the paparazzi flew a helicopter up to where she was sunbathing, used the, the rotor blades of the helicopter to blow the blanket she had under her off so they could take topless pictures of her because she was sunbathing topless because she wanted an even tan. I don't know if gamma ray people get even tans, but that's what she was doing. The entire book is about this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, it's cool for She-Hulk to get her own story where she's like her doing stuff and she displays her, how clever she is. She displays her lawyer wit. Um, she even displays at this point, she's gotten the ability to change back and forth back. So she even displays her ability to use her lawyer side and her, you know, lawyer form uh, in both ways. Like she, she uses the She-Hulk and then she uses Jennifer Walters, the really good attorney. Um, so that's great. But it is still an entire story about the She-Hulk's breasts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really, John? And the worst part, in my opinion, is the opening sequence where she is attempting to stop the helicopter after they took pictures of her. And it's just, it's not, a, it's not a great thing. And the ending where this entire thing is resolved after he's basically written a story where she can't stop them from publishing the pictures. Because in, in real life, the law is such that if you're a public figure, and they got pictures like that of you, they could publish them. So she's basically, you know, up bleeps Creek without a paddle. She can't, she can make it harder for them. She can harass them in ways, but she can't actually stop it. But then there's a deuce ex machina ending where burn has the human torch show up with the actual issue in question. And since nobody told the people publishing the pictures that they were of she Hulk, they assumed it was a color error and they color corrected the pictures. So now she's just a brunette with, with, you know, the Caucasian skin tone. And on the one hand, it's good. I guess it's that she Hulk's pictures won't look like she Hulk, but I mean, he has the human torch, make a sleazy joke about having green glasses somewhere in his old room. So he's going to go look at the pictures through green glasses. So he'll know what she looks like topless. There's just, it's just, there's so much to it that I'm actually sputtering about how bad this is, that it is the, Imagine if you gave the thing his own issue of the book and it was all about how someone took pictures of him without his trunks on. And now his, his stony penis is going to be like in magazines. If he doesn't stop it, can you imagine that they would never have done that, but because it's she Hulk, suddenly we got a whole issue about it. And, and again, this is not the only time that they did. This, this is not the only character that they did. This oh, with. no, no, no. Right. Um, but they also, this is just one of many. This is just one of many. Shield. It just happened to be very central to her character because unlike a lot of the other ones, she had her own book, which, yeah. and, and which in was her an own abnormality. Book, in her own book, at one point, she had her body stolen. Uh, she had Zemnu implanted inside of herself. There were plenty of those kind of stories, too. Uh, but. Later on, even when other people who had read those books came up and started writing her, I remember one run on She-Hulk where the writer couldn't think of anything else to do other than to have her just sleeping with everybody she could. Yes. That was it. That was the only, and I don't care if that's what you, if that's a character trait you want to have the character have. I don't care if people have sex. I'm quite sex positive. If the She-Hulk likes to have sex, that's great. But she should be doing something else in in the pages of her comic book. Yeah, like there were, I remember this distinctly because like there was like a good three, four, five uh, issues in a row where nothing else happened. That's literally all that happened. And at this time, comics were releasing once a month. So for half of a year, that's all this character did. And then the best part was when she's then getting, you know, I, I don't know how to put this one. Wolverine of all people, slut shames her. Yeah. Wolverine. Go look at Wolverine's dating record sometime. It's like 35 pages long and it's printed on bathroom tissue. And like 85% of those have tried to kill him. 
you know, or he's can, ended up causing the deaths of. Yep. I just, my God. And then they went and did a thing where it was another, it was another she Hulk from another dimension sleeping with some of these people. Cause they thought the problem was that she was just sleeping with too many people and not that they didn't give her anything else to do. Ugh. And then there was the star Fox storyline, which, Oh my God, why would you do this storyline? Now we're not harping why? on, we're not harping on this to, to, you know, I don't want to say, <sighs> We're highlighting this is just it, right? Yeah, this is to indicate a problem that that some writers seem to have with the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, other writers, like Mariko Tamaki, have come along and written amazing runs. Even uh, Charles Sewell did a pretty good run. Even Dan Slott, when he was writing that book, did yeah. a very good job in the early 2000s. Absolutely. Dan Slott's run on Shiok is pretty good. One of the things he did that was great was that he used a conceit from the old Fantastic Four comic, mm-hmm. which was that the Fantastic Four sold licensed comics they're licensed to Marvel and Marvel did comics based on actual transcripts and other comic books published by Marvel were then set up to be the same deal. Like the Avengers had a marketing deal. And as a result, she Hulk comics, when she Hulk is like looking into this, the, the she's in a law firm and they actually have a room in the basement with comics, but the comics are there for legal library reasons, because these are, these are licensed published documents. And as a result, they can be used in court in the Marvel universe licensed comics are are like testimonials so like mag- it'd be like a magazine article if someone interviews you for a magazine article what you say in the article can be used in court same here now i thought that was just it's the kind of thing that touches upon the two things that make she hulk interesting the hulk aspect and the jennifer walters aspect which we start to see played up later on which really starts to define her character right um I think the I think it was called Single Green Female, which was a terrible name. But there was, and they I think this is where the show picks a lot of its stuff up from. Uh, there was basically after I think it was the search for She Hulk. Um, she had been very publicly helping save the world as the She Hulk, as Jennifer Walters. Like people knew who she was at this point, and so she was made an offer by uh, Goodman Lieber. Uh, Kurtzberg and Holloway uh, to work in their brand new superhuman law division on the condition that she remained human while she works. But uh, because it was thought that her visibility as a superhero would help sway uh, basically juries in her favor, because here's Jennifer Walters who helped save the world, who, uh, you know, is very public in that figure. Now they can start, I don't want to say milking it, but kind of. And it also was a interesting arc because it started making her character feel more comfortable in both forms, mm-hmm. right? Like they started writing it as she didn't need to be She-Hulk all the time, which was something that they had written in before this, where she didn't want to be Jennifer Walters human. She wanted to be She-Hulk because She-Hulk, like Matt pointed out earlier, was strong, confident, didn't have to take anything for anybody. But then she realized that she could do that same thing as Jennifer. And it was character growth uh, a really really weird way of getting there but it got there and she represented uh, heroes in that comic like Spider-Man uh, like the thing like the fant- rest of the Fantastic Four uh, I believe all the heroes for hire she was their personal lawyer um, yeah she, she and Daredevil basically split up uh, who was going to get superheroes as the lawyers in New York and then she uh, took over all of them when Daredevil decided to go deal with the hand 
Yeah, Daredevil decided, uh, yeah, I'm done lawyering. I'm going to be a crime boss slash whatever I turned into in the Bendis run. And it ended up with and, Jennifer basically picking up everybody. So, and this yeah. comes back later, too, because in recent in recent Daredevil comics, Daredevil is framed for killing a man, something he would never do, uh, according to the comics. Um, and Jennifer She-Hulk is the one that seeks him out to talk with him about, what did you do, Matt? What happened? Talk to me. Because like they had a... a history as both heroes and lawyers together like yeah it, it was interesting to see the cross and the talk between the two so yeah there's a whole um that run that joe's talking about there was the charles sewell run where he was basically charles sewell in addition to being a writer was a lawyer mm-hmm. um he was, a, he was a, a, a practicing attorney for years so when he wrote the she hulk there was actually a very interesting almost procedural of, like, right yeah it got procedural moments in there um in general, the interesting thing about the character has always been kind of the groundedness of the character um, compared to like just the other people. Like, one of the, the books I read before we started doing the show today, just because I wanted to refresh it, is Al Ewing's Immortal She-Hulk, which mm. was a tie-in to his Immortal Hulk run, mm-hmm. which Jennifer pops up in quite a bit because she is... She's a Hulk. It's a, not just because she's a Hulk. She is pretty much from the time she's introduced, she is the one person who will always be in Bruce Banner's corner. It doesn't matter what happens with the Hulk. Can I, can I walk it back real quick? Cause there's, I think that right. there's an interesting character thing that sets this up as well. Cause immortal Hulk is a more recent run and we're, we absolutely need to talk about that. But even back in civil war, the mm-hmm. original civil war, we see this cause she registers under the super superhuman registration act as a supporter of Tony of Tony Stark. Um, but as a lawyer, she represents both sides and will talk to both individuals. Uh, she will advise both individuals. Uh, she also was somebody who at the time she was married to um, John Jameson, John, uh, John Jameson, J Jonah Jameson's son. I can never remember his name. Thank you. Uh, and Jameson, the man wolf, basically the Jameson wanted to, uh, have a file a suit against Peter Parker after he was well basically showed himself uh, for fraud and so she took the case with the intention of not really doing anything about it but tying it up in courts indefinitely and she's also the lawyer for speedball which was the mutant that caused civil war to happen in the first place in oh, the point of order speedball's not a mutant uh thought he was Nope, he's a Steve Dicko character. He was the last character Steve Dicko created, and he is absolutely a, an accident victim creation because Steve Dicko never got the memo on mutants. Uh, okay, fair enough. I retract. I thought, for whatever reason, I thought he was a mutant. Go figure. Oh, there was Vance Astro and Firestar from the New Warriors were both mutants. But, That's uh, probably Speedball why. was not. Yeah. So anyway, but Speedball's the one that created the incident that caused such a tragedy that Civil War started. And yeah, back when we thought that if you killed a whole bunch of students at that school, something would change or happen. Go figure. Um, but she represented him and she did so well. Oh, yeah. Like, very good lawyer. Very good lawyer. Sorry, please continue with Immortal Hulk. Well, just the point being that at, at the time, I don't I don't want to get too much into the Avengers thing until later, but there was an Avengers run where for first, in fact, in order to do this, I'm going to have to talk about Mariko Tamaki's run too briefly. In Civil War II, Thanos shows up on Earth trying mm-hmm. to get a cosmic cube because, you know, that's Thanos. That's what he does. Yeah. Uh, She-Hulk goes up against him. And while she does pretty well at first, she doesn't have the, the sheer regenerative ability of her, of her cousin. Uh, and Thanos basically puts her in the hospital 
He he almost kills her. He does kill War Machine, uh, James Rhodes, who is Tony Stark's best friend. As a result, she's out for the entirety of Civil War II, which means she's not conscious when Bruce Banner. They, they the whole crux of Civil War II is should we if we could predict the future, should we do things based on those predictions? And it's very much if you've read if you've read or seen Minority Report. It's that, but with superheroes. Um, as a result of all this, Jen is in the hospital uncon- in a coma when Bruce Banner is shot and killed by Hawkeye, who shoots him with an arrow that that Banner gave him and told him, if, I, if it ever looks like I'm just losing it and I'm going to do something awful, take me out. Because he knew that Hawkeye was the one person who not only could hit him with it, but, but would. would. Yeah. yeah, who would do it. And so as a result, when Jennifer comes to... When she gets back up, she she's she comes out of her coma. She finds out that Bruce is dead, and that someone who's been a friend of hers for years did it. So she can't go and smash Hawkeye into the ground. The lawyer and her won't let her. the The person who's like the the law is very important to her. So she can't just go kill him. She does go and tell him, you know, you know, you. But she doesn't murder him or even threaten him very much because other people already have. And he's like, yeah, if you want to do something to me about it, go for it. I understand, you know, you, you've lost someone very important to you. Go for it. And she's like, you even have to ruin this. But she's she's all torn up afterwards. There's a long period of time where she's the head of the Hulk comic. And she's, like, not herself. She's not acting like herself. And she's the Hulk. She's not acting like she used to as, as She-Hulk. And there's the, the book itself that at the end of the run, Mariko Tamaki undid everything because she was in leaving the book. But whenever reason, uh, Jason Aaron was picking up Avengers. So he decided to keep and in fact, amplify the portrayal of the She-Hulk as a giant monster who just calls herself Hulk and is a ball of rage all the time. And I'm not saying there weren't good story elements for this. The, the Tamaki run is fantastic. But as a result, when Al Ewing, wrote immortal she-hulk he's trying to tie she-hulk into the immortal hulk storyline he at first had just been like not touching her he was just leaving her over in avengers and not having her in but then he got involved in writing uh, a crossover where she-hulk dies mm-hmm. and then it turns out that just like the hulk and just like other game of mutants uh she don't stay dead she she came back she's actually done this a couple of times it turns out she just Hulk's didn't know don't it. die it's fine yeah but, but as a result of all this in this story, she's trying to figure it out because she doesn't have Bruce around. Bruce is on the run. She she doesn't really understand what's happening. So she goes to people who have either come back from what seemed to be death or, or are immortal or something. And she's like, you know, she talks to the Wolverine about it. And Wolverine is being cagey because at this time the mutants have a resurrection thing, but he's not telling her about it. And then she goes to Thor and Thor's like, no one is immortal. Like, you know, Galactus has died. I, I will die. Everybody dies. The, there is complications. There are things that allow you a second chance, but in the end, it maybe you'll last as long as the universe, but the universe will die. Everything dies. And then in her third, in her third death in the book, when she's killed by the space plant people, um, she has a run in with the leader who's, you know, use is all part of his evil plan in immortal Hulk. And he, he flat out says, I'm not leaving you around here in the land of death because you would totally mess everything up because Jennifer is Jennifer's smart. She's not gamma. She's not smart about gamma rays, but she's smart. She's probably smarter than Bruce in her chosen field. She's probably smarter than Bruce. I mean, she's smart enough that even Tony Stark, who is arguably one of the smartest uh, living entities in, in Marvel comics, 
was afraid of her and afraid yeah. of her intelligence, not not getting pummeled by She-Hulk, uh, because that's a whole other thing. World War Hulk opened up a whole bunch of worms there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But like when he realized, oh, I done messed up was not when the She-Hulk wasn't punching him, but when he was like, oh, I have to deal with Jennifer Walters. Yeah. Oh, she crap. can tie you up. She can tie you up in litigation for years. She yep. is an amazing lawyer. And she's also tactically clever. Mm-hmm. When, when she has led teams, which she has done, they do well. So all of this, this is a character who's been through a lot in her 40 plus years and has had a lot of storylines that deal with this. Immortal Hulk, in my opinion, is one of the best distillations of her because it touches on all of it. One of the things it reveals is that in both the Mariko Tamaki run, which was already kind of kind of hinted in the Tamaki run and in the, the Avengers run with Jason Aaron, when she's talking like the Hulk, it's an act. Mm-hmm. She's not, she is in no way in, in intellectually impaired at any time. She's talking like the Hulk, A, so people will treat her like the Hulk, and B, because it's fun. It's it's a release. You don't have to think before you speak. You don't even have to think about what you're going to say. You can just throw it out there. And all of it, there's just so much of a, the, the Ewing Immortal She-Hulk, I almost wish we'd gotten a Ewing run. The current run of the comics is fine. Uh I think it's a uh, rebel, uh, rebel Rowell. I think so. Um, she's doing a good work. She's doing a good job, but she's basically doing, she's doing the eighties run without so much of the sleazy factor. Uh, she's put her back in her old apartment. Uh, she's back being a lawyer for like the uh, fantastic foreign stuff. It's a lot of, it's, it's very similar to previous stuff I've seen from her. I would li- love to have seen Ewing on a, on a She-Hulk run. And for that matter, I would love to see Mariko Tamaki come back. But all of this is just prelude really to, to talk about, to some degree what people will know the She-Hulk from. And that's the, the TV show. Um, one of the things I actually like about the She-Hulk in the comics that they haven't really touched on in the show yet though, is that at this point, everybody knows her. She's probably in the superhero community more well-known than her cousin, not more well-known of more actually well-known more people have actually talked to She-Hulk than have talked to the Hulk. Cause it's hard to talk to the Hulk. At one, did you read the, the the Doc Green run on Hulk? Yeah. Do you remember when he showed up with that needle and they thought he was going to try and use it to turn She Hulk back to just Jennifer full time? Yeah, that that thing that has been happened what four times now. Yeah. yeah, but he he had done this to several other people. He had done this to his his ex wife. He had done this to Rick Jones. He was trying to go around. It was basically like Armor Wars, but with Hulks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he arrived where Jen was, the entire Avengers. And the entire Fantastic Four were waiting for him. Not because he's a dangerous monster, but because they thought he was going after Jen. And she's like, it's okay, you guys. Just let me talk to my cousin. And he goes, I'm not going to use this needle on you. And she goes, what needle? And he looks down and he doesn't have it anymore. And the invisible woman is giving it to Jen. Mm-hmm. They're like, literally, you didn't have a chance. I you also know, think it's just- funny that the, one of the one of the best female teams that, uh, that nobody ever talks about, uh, which was one of the... The worst names ever, I think, was like oh, the, the yeah the the Avengers Force or something. No, A Force was the one from Battle A Force. Okay, A Force no, was no, great. No. I'm not talking about them. Uh, she led a a team of all superheroes, and why can't I think of the name? It was like Lady something or other. Like Lady oh Killers. right, it was when they were going after the Red Hulk. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible, but, but the, she, the, the people in it were great. Lead. Yeah, and she was one of the few people who could have led that. Yep, it, it's it, it's really interesting. Um, I I really. I, I'm trying to find a way to like really say what I, I lady hope liberators. Like that's what it was. Lady liberators. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about her as a character has always been that she is, she's just, 
even when she was breaking the fourth wall, she's very pragmatic. Like she'd find it funny, but she'd also say, oh, okay, well, if we're doing this, then I don't even have to worry about that guy. Or wait a minute, how'd they cut my head off? How, how could they possibly cut my head off and not wake me up? Like, cause it, her body had been stolen and her head was literally mounted to a wall. And she realized, oh no, I'm in the wall. I'm literally in the wall. And she broke out cause she's breaking the fourth wall. She literally broke out of the wall that they had her trapped in. Um, there's just a lot to the characters, like her mentality, her pragmatism, her evolution over the years that Joe talked about that just makes her, I, I want to say fun in multiple ways, fun, just as a fun character. Um, although I did like some of the Aaron's run where he did, he used her as basically just a Hulk. Yeah. Um, just because it was, it was funny to see that she can also just be the Hulk. If they need a Hulk in a, in a story and Bruce isn't there, she can just do that. Which again, if you haven't read immortal Hulk as a run, it's worthwhile. It's worth reading for all of the Hulks having further characterization, including Jennifer Walters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we, but, we, we are at a point where I think we should probably talk about the show a little bit. Oh, but there's one thing I have to talk about before we talk about the show. One okay. of the things I absolutely love that they've done over the past few years in secret wars, the character who beat Jen up was, was a character named Titania who was created by Dr. Doom as part of an evil plan he had. Cause he's Dr. Doom. Come on. That's everything he does as part of a plan. If he makes a cup of coffee, it's for an evil plan. But, they had back and forth throughout the years. Um, Titania always wanted to prove it wasn't a fluke. Uh, She-Hulk just didn't really care and didn't feel like dealing with it, but would always end up winning the fights because, you know, Titania is a supervillain. Some of them got close. Uh, more recently, though, Titania has been kind of going from villain to gray area. She's been gray area she, for a little bit now. Yeah. Was, keep in mind that she's been married to Crusher Creel since like 1988. And she's like in, been in she's fought time. in she's bought fought in a bunch of superhero team ups. She's yeah. She trains with uh She Hulk and Jennifer Walters. That's regularly. where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, in the last couple issues, uh, the first couple issues of her new book, Titania shows up at the courthouse and is going to attack Jen. And Jen's like, "All right, fine." And she's like, "Do you really want to fight me? Like, do do you honestly, like, you know, what have what have we even done lately?" And they end up they form a kind of the training thing where it's like a fight club. Yeah, there's literally go, a female fight club involving yeah. like superpowered Hulk like women. Yeah. And they just, you know, they beat each other up and, and talk smack, but at the same time they're like, she's like, So how's Crusher doing? Oh, he's out of jail for now. Like, you know, they they have conversations. It's one of the things that I love about this character is that people end up like she just makes relationships. With people she, you she wouldn't just, expect. Yeah, like you like Joe was just talking about uh, the whole Daredevil thing. Um she-Hulk is really close friends with Jessica Jones. Yep. Also, like for the Jessica record, she she's the one that clocked Matt as Daredevil before anybody else did in the comics. Just throwing that out there. Well, she didn't clock him before Spider-Man did. That's a Spider-Man little different. Got, Spider-Man got told because his Spider-Sense kept telling him there was something weird about Matt. And mm-hmm. Matt could tell that Spider-Man was Spider-Man no matter what he was dressed like. He's like, yeah, you smell this way. You, you move this way. Your heart's doing this. So yeah, but she's the one that figured it out. She figured it out because Daredevil was too good at lawyering stuff. Mm-hmm. She's like, how many people do I know who are that good at lawyering, who can, who know the law that well, and who can fight with a mask that doesn't have eye holes? You know, when she's like, okay, I know a blind lawyer who does, and he's about the same height, and his voice is about the same, and she just went and said, uh, by practice of, re- of deduction, you're Daredevil, and he's like, well, yeah, you're right. Good, good job, good deduction. Uh, yeah, so just a character who does who forms connections, who is kind of like a social Hulk. Yes. And in, in not just in the fact that she's social and she's a Hulk, but she's like the Hulk in socializing. She just smashes through everything. 
Like this is a person who has absolutely no trouble like representing Captain America in court. And then when he's not being helpful to her as his lawyer, she will rip him a new one vocally and say, look, you can't tell me I can't do this. I have to question them. I have to prove that they're lying. I'm your lawyer. That's what we do. And you know, it's nobody else would do that. Nobody else would stand up to Captain America on a moral issue. She will do it. So that's just one of the things that I want to, I think when we talk about the show, we'll talk about that, but I'm going to have Joe jump in here. Yeah. So I think, I think we're going to move on to the the show because there's been four episodes released so far. So if you're listening and you've been with us this far, thank you very, very much. We are going to get into some mild spoiler territories for the first four episodes. Uh, so be warned. So the very first thing that we note is that the episode one is essentially an origin story, but it's not an origin story in the same way that a lot of other movies and TV shows do, where they just dwell on the origin of the character. Uh, so you have uh, Jennifer Walters uh, going to before court case, but then the, the, you see the incident that happened a few months earlier where her and her cousin Bruce were in a car crash while attempting to get Bruce to safety. Bruce, who had been injured Uh, in such a way that he had to take an inhibitor because he had not integrated yet at this point uh, with the Hulk personality to keep the Hulk from taking over. Uh, They get into the car accident and they get cut pretty badly. And this is where the show deviates a little bit from the comic book origins, where in the comic book and like the original stuff, uh, Banner gave her an infusion of his blood to save her life. Here it's she winds up getting in contact with his blood and we start to understand that the Hulk blood here, because it's so gamma infused is dangerous, which actually harkens back to the original, uh, incredible Hulk movie. The one, uh, before, uh, why can't I think of his name now? Um, you mean the one that was just Hulk? The, the, the very first Marvel Hulk movie. Marvel Hulk movie. Okay. It is incredible Hulk. Uh, it's, it's got Edward Norton as Bruce no, Banner the, instead no, of that. Were no, the one before Edward Norton. So you want, okay. That, that is the Hulk one. The Hulk. That's the, that's the, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was the director of the ice house and other stuff. Uh, it was a very comic book oriented thing. It's got the guy who played Nero in star Trek. Yes. As, um, as the Hulk. But in that movie, they established that having the Hulk's blood is enough to mutate people. It's 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 what happens. They yeah, they make gamma dogs. They reestablish this in the Edward Norton film as well, where they create Emma Blonsky with the abomination by using his blood. Um, so, but then they drop it. It's not something that gets talked about at any other point in the movies until we get to the TV shows, where now we see that cross contamination is what turns her into a Hulk. She. Uh, hulks out as she gets nervous because she can't get Bruce out of the car, um, winds up basically blacking out and she wakes up in essentially a cabana house. Uh, it basically, which turns into a secret laboratory in Mexico, uh, where she gets trained to control her powers by Bruce. And the interesting tidbit here, and this is what I was talking about before Bruce has this giant journal and it is a like, itinerary of how to become an integrated Hulk, how to accept your powers and not let the other, the other guy, as he calls him, take control. And then Jennifer, he you know, says, but I'm fine. I'm me. Like she winds up hulking out and he tries to talk her down and she goes, why are you talking to me like this? While still in Hulk form. And he goes, well, okay, then I guess I have to, you know, we can skip about 10 years, uh, which is a callback to how, solid of a person she is mentally, how sure of 
herself she is internally. And they actually talk about this. And I think that is actually really, really interesting. It's it's showing the differences between Bruce and her and how quickly, you know, she can sort of come to grips with it. It also starts highlighting that in her integrated form, she is actually, or at least as far as what they show, and I believe they're going to hold as canon functionally stronger than Bruce. What did now you watch the the series, right, Matt? I haven't gotten to see issue four, episode four yet. Okay, but what did you think of episode one? Uh, I liked it, but I was sad that Titania barely even shows up. I think um, that's going to come back later. Oh no, I, I know it's in episode four. She comes back, and I'm sure that she'll be in five and and six at least. Uh, I liked it. Um, one of the things it's it's interesting. There's an open debate whether or not like the gamma radiation from the blood is what mutated her, but it's possibly the fact that she's genetically very close to Bruce. Like their cousins, which they, which they do mention about too. Yeah. That is the reason that she's transforming Stable. so close to him and not like the, the abomination did or whatever happened to Samuel Stearns. Please Marvel bring in the leader. You've uh, had this they- character sitting there for like, like a decade and a half now. But um, in general, I thought it was a good setup and it, 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 it preserved the thing that we've, we talked about at the beginning of this, where she Hulk breaks the fourth wall. She Hulk turns and talks to the viewer. Yep. Um, and that's just something she always did. And it's, I, I think it's great. I like, I mean, the actress who's playing Jennifer Walters, uh, Tatiana Mosley is an astonishing actress and she hasn't, in my opinion, she's just scraped the, the character. She hasn't really gotten a chance to, to go her full route. If you ever saw her in, uh, Orphan Black. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I really like the point. There's a discussion that she has with Bruce where he's like, you know, I had to learn to control my rage. He goes, Bruce, I'm a woman. Uh, every day, somebody does something that I have to control my rage on. I can't get mad. I can't lose my temper or I won't be a professional lawyer. I won't be, you know, there's, there's a million things like that happen to it every day. And it's just, it's a really nice, it's the thing Pete, um, sorry, Pete's my best friend in real life. Uh, sorry, Joe. You're so much like him that I think of you as my best friend. That was a moment. Anyway, uh, the, the thing Joe talked about earlier about how, you know, she, she basically by becoming the She-Hulk, she, it's like an end run around all the misogyny and sexism and harassment. You see that in the episode where she's like, she's standing around outside trying to figure out what happened to her. She tried to call Bruce for help. She's waiting to get picked up and they come out of the place and they're like, Hey, you look nice. And she's like, look, I'm really not in the mood. And, you know, just kind of, bursts up into the She-Hulk. But even then, she's not out of control. She didn't kill anybody, you know? And that's a lot of that I really liked. I I, I liked the lawyery stuff. Like I liked getting to watch her uh do her rehearsal for the uh closing arguments that they were gonna be making later in the show. Um overall, I thought it was a strong first episode. There is a tendency for this show, and in every episode I've seen so far, there is a tendency to get a little weird. Yes. Which I think is basically preserving the comic book feel of the character. And I think they really start introducing that when they start going in the second and third episodes where you start to deal with the fallout from episode one, where she Mm -hmm. loses her job as uh, in the district attorney's office, because in the middle of the trial, uh, Titania bursts through the wall. Uh, Jennifer transforms into the She-Hulk, defeats Titania, transforms back into Jennifer Walters to deliver her closing argument. Uh, but then is let go because uh, of a mistrial being declared because the actions of a superhero in the courtroom taking out uh, a supervillain and keeping people safe is going to sway the the jury, which we yeah, talked about f- beforehand, right? Yeah, basically, she the, ju- the jury's like, 
you know, well, if she saved us from that villain, she must be good. And, you know, therefore we have to listen to what she says. Keep in mind though, I got to say, one of the things that weakened that first episode is the fact that the closing lawyer's summation was so terrible. Oh, it 100% was. The guy she was going up against, well, how could, you know, sure, some people died, but no, once you admit people died, you know, your dude looks bad. You know, that, that I honestly feel like if I were arguing on the mistrial thing, I would have been like, he flat out admitted in open court that his guy killed people. I, if anything, you know, this probably helped him. I, you know, I, I don't see how this is judging, you know, but regardless, yeah, th- there's been a lot I liked about that episode. I actually think the people versus Emil Blonsky, which is episode three is, is the best one I've seen. I would agree. Uh, so the even, second one is more of a setup episode, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's the first half. It's the thing it's, that tells you, you know, what's going on with, well, Blonsky. not only that, but it, it establishes her connection with GLK and H, which is brought over from the comic books. They're the ones that represent the, the superhuman division, essentially, um, they offer her a job after being let go from the district attorney's office and her first case is to represent Emma Blonsky, otherwise known as the abomination, uh, at his parole hearing. And I thought it was interesting because there's a conversation being had between her and Bruce at one point, uh, because don't forget Blonsky tried to kill her cousin. Mm-hmm. And yet here she goes, gets Bruce's blessing essentially, uh, as approval to try the case because it's going to represent a, a march forward for Hulks. Essentially I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but then she accepts it and learns that, uh, and this is where she learns that. And some spoilers here, uh, that Blonsky apparently escaped from prison and participated in an underground fight club. Go watch Shang Chi. If you haven't, it is, yeah. it is a wonderful movie. And Blonsky makes an appearance there with our, one of my favorite characters in the MCU Wong. Um, but then we move on to episode three because two is all set up for it. And I'll let Matt talk about this one. Well, I mean, first up, there's Wong in this episode. So that's good right there. Wong is actually one of my favorite characters. I Sorcerer love that he Supreme is, Wong. Yeah. I love that he is t- he has the title of Sorcerer Supreme because Strange was dead. So, he yeah, looked. of course, Wong is super stream, you know? Uh, so as a result, yeah, I love that. I liked just his characterization in this in this thing where he's like, you know, talking about, you know, the Kamatage. She's like, well, yeah, I have powers that compel me too, namely the Constitution of the United States of America. I can't just do that. Um, but he, she gets him to testify. Uh, I, I really like that they actually have the, the parole hearing and she's like, you know, the, the, the debate back and forth. And then there's the Megan V. Stallion part of the episode, which is almost pure. Like it's, it's like pure slot. She Hulk. Well, and there's, let's, let's, let's give the, the buildup for this for, for, for folks or as a reminder. Um, like there's a case wind up going on right now, c- concurrent with, um, whatever Jennifer is working with on Blonsky's parole hearing thing. Yeah. Uh, this is outside of it where, uh, there's basically, uh, what, what Dennis B- Bukowski, I think it is. Yeah. That's that's, a, name, that, I that's the guy from that. She worked with at the, uh, district attorney's office, um, approaches the superhuman law division for a case involving his ex-girlfriend, uh, who he thought was Megan the Stallion and turns out to be Runna, a shape-changing light elf from New Asgard who defrauded him for several hundred thousands of dollars. Um, the case winds up getting assigned to Walter's uh, co-worker, uh, who's no- affectionately known as Pug, uh, and all sorts of hilarity ensues where a shape-changer is re- like routinely pretending to be other people, including impersonating a judge at one point, trying to dismiss their own case. Uh, it was just a pure 
hilarious moment. And then, and, and, and then they also have the wrecking crew appearance, which Joe mentioned. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and then uh, Megan, the stallion is actually in the court uh, during this hearing, apparently. And we're going to come back to that later. Um, but no, then, go ahead and do it now. Do the Megan, the stallion thing now. <laughs> go for it. So at the end of the, this is the end of the episode and it's the stinger at the end of it. And the stinger is something that happens after the credits or during the credits to set up what's moving forward. And it's Megan, the stallion in the office with Jennifer Walters signing the She-Hulk as her lawyer. And so they start kind of just having fun and being goofy. And at one point, and this is where some folks take umbrage with this, uh, starts twerking with Megan, the stallion, uh, and at the end, it says that I would kill for you, Megan Thee Stallion, and is told, okay, settle it down, walk it back a little bit. Um, but it was just this wonderfully like pure moment of just her feeling happy and in that moment and having a good time to the point where her boss sees her twerking with Megan Thee Stallion and his response is, eh, and then turns around and just walks away. So, now yeah, you want- it's. I, uh, if you have a problem with that, quite frankly, you wouldn't have liked the character anyway, because she's done so many things in her comics like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is just a character who does not care. She, she's perfectly aware of what she looks like and has no problem enjoying it. Um, but I, like I said, I haven't seen issue f- episode four yet, so I can't really well, we can talk about on it. We can talk about the end of the wrecking crew stuff in uh, episode three, right? So basically the wrecking crew show up. I don't know if they called on the wrecking crew. Honestly, they do. They actually, they announce themselves as the wrecking crew, but they're using, this is a thing in the comics. The wrecking crew are four people. Originally the wrecker uh, was a guy who Loki showed up and, and enchanted his crowbar with Asgardian magic. So he could beat up Thor because mm-hmm. you know, it's Loki Loki's day. Isn't complete until he does something to mess with Thor. And then later on, he, the, 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 the other three joined up and got their various weapons, including an actual wrecking ball carried mm-hmm. by one of them enchanted with Asgardian magic. So you've got the wrecker thunderball, uh, I want to say pile driver. And then I can't remember the fourth one's name off the top of my head, but there's four of them. Uh, they all have Asgardian construction equipment. It's that that's what it is. It's, you know, it's just this magically enchanted wrecking ball from an old record bulldozer, pile driver and thunderball. Thank you. You're um, welcome. but yeah, it's, it's, I seeing them in a, in a, in this show is great, uh, oh. because they are exactly the kind of mooks who get beat up by She-Hulk. I mean, they're, they're strong and powerful enough that it's not just picking on four morons. It's there's, there's a chance they could hurt her, but it's not much of a chance because they're so much dumber than she is. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I like that. I also like that. It's part of this plan. Yes. Somebody is trying to get a sample of her blood, probably because they can't get Bruce's blood because no one knows where the F he is most of the time. So here she is. She's publicly active. She's in the middle of New York City. She's representing famous clients and supervillains. Yeah, they know where to find her. So of course they're going to target her. And I think that's a good that's a good subplot to work into this because while the goofy stuff is great and I am totally here for all of it, I like that there's also serious subtext to it and and actual stuff that might go forward in the MCU. Uh, they announced the Thunderbolts movie, and it turns out Abomination isn't in it. So everyone thought he was going to be. So that's interesting. It does mean that we might see, you know, well, Joe pointed, you know, go, go ahead. I was going to say, and the other thing too, that I thought was really interesting about the show is the characterization of Emil Blonsky at this point, um, which we didn't really get to touch on yet, but I want to real quick here. Cause I think this might be set up for future. Um, so Emil Blonsky uh, as the abomination before was driven uh, sort of under the, the, 
you know, basically the command of, of his superior officers to go after the Hulk, hurt a lot of innocent people, had that sort of personality schism, and then, you know, became that sort of super villain. Here we see that he's, for lack of a better term, reformed. And you got a hint of it in Shang-Chi, but you find out that he has already figured out how to achieve balance and peace within himself. At the hearing, he actually turns into the abomination and is very calm and very cool and very collected about it. Uh, even so much as very gently putting his, his crocs to one side so that they didn't get damaged. Um, you see that he has a gathering of followers, which is a interesting nod to uh, prison romance stuff from like old TV shows and, and things like that from the eighties. Um, but he's able to control his transformation and he transforms back down to the Blonsky and sits down very, very calmly. And Wal- Walter's, basically says, look, he could have broken out at any point in time. You saw that he left the prison. He was out of here. And even Wong says he asked to go back to finish his sentence. He didn't want to leave. He wanted to finish what he was supposed to do to pay his debt. And it's a completely different ML Blonsky at this point. It's a very different abomination. It's somebody who is in control of themselves. He's not a monster anymore, at least not now, maybe in the future, who knows? But it's showing that these characters that the Hulk has interacted with in this universe are starting to gain control of themselves, accept what they are, and for better or worse, they either become more dangerous or less dangerous because of it. And I thought it was very, very interesting because there's a lot of other characters that the Hulk has touched as far as like interpersonal relationships or just being around or or having events with throughout all of the Marvel universe at this point, And it's laying the groundwork for a bunch of that. And I think it's, I think it's important because while he might not be there for the Thunderbolts now, he might wind up showing up later because that's part of the condition of his parole is that he's not allowed to willingly transform into the abomination. So I, I just thought that was an interesting little point. No, it is the, the whole thing is kind of interesting and it's really interesting in that it's, I don't know how to keep like, it, it's very evocative of the character of, of Jennifer Walters that she does she works so well with what he does when he transforms that she she immediately knows how to use this as part of her case mm-hmm. how to plead you know and the there's also a scene in the the episode where they ask her they actually bring her to the to, to the stand in the other case the one with the light elf and they ask her if the the uh if the lawyer in question the one that started this whole thing could possibly have believed he could pull Megan the stallion and she just straight up goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's totally delusional enough to think he could pull that. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful bit of acting. I, I really like that scene. I like the show. Uh, I just haven't got a chance to watch the most recent episode because I've been doing other stuff. The the reason that I'm, I'm bringing it up, and I wanted to talk about the previous stuff before talking about the show, is that the show is doing something that I think a lot of the other Marvel TV shows are also doing, which is, taking sort of the best bits of the history of the character and trying to distill it down. That's basically been Marvel's thing this whole time from, from the Iron Man movie forwards. um, They've, they've real, they've latched onto things. We keep forgetting how old these characters are. Like she Hulk is 42 years old and she's had a relatively busy publishing life. Even Ms. Marvel is at this point, what 10, 12, like these are characters who've been around for a while. They have a lot of publication. Well, so same thing with Spider-Man. To... Spider-Man's been around since 1962. Oh, yeah. 1962. 
Yeah. And, and with all of it, these are characters who've had a lot of publications. So you have to look for the gold and, and bring that forward. And that's been Marvel's real genius. Even when they don't do it quite as well as they should have, like the first two Thor movies, they had no idea what they were. Um, I, I, they, they definitely didn't, didn't feel great. Uh, compared to some of the other ones. But even when Marvel movies tend to be, when Marvel does something and it's not great, it still tends to be good. Uh, very rarely do they make a movie where people are like, oh yeah, that was garbage. And when they do, it tends to be like see Captain Marvel, where people got mad at it because she acted just like if the movie had been about a male Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, I think this this show does a really good job with that, with finding those things that make jennifer walters a distinct character people are arguing, oh it's just a hulk but a girl not even close you could never do half of this and, stuff with bruce banner and that's exactly it too like a lot of people like the people that are saying that and maybe if you've been on the fence about it it's it's worth a watch because it really does establish how different of a character she is and how just complex of a character she is because a lot of people We'll look back at like some some people's exposure to She-Hulk isn't even from the comics, right? It's from a series of cards or one-off magazine issues that Marvel did in like the late '80s, early '90s, uh, because again, they used to do things like when the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition was like a thing. Uh, they did one a Marvel version of it with female characters, and they did she, a lot of them. They did a lot of them, and She-Hulk was the cover model. Right. Like that was the poster, the poster representation for that sort of like, quote unquote, sexy Marvel. Um, And that's some people's only exposure that and some of the trading cards that did the exact same thing. And then you look at the current implementation of her, whether it's in the comic books or now the TV show or even on the tabletop game. If you play Marvel Crisis uh, Crisis Protocol, uh, where she is definitely stronger than the Hulk and all stat lines and everything else across the board. Uh, like it's just the character is so much more than I think some people have given it time or credit for. It's worth your time to watch and look into it. I actually found the Marvel age cover you were looking for when, when you talked about that, I wasn't even looking for it. I was looking for the actual Marvel, uh, the new, the current Marvel superhero game, the one that's coming out. Cortex is doing it. Uh, Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But there's the Marvel age bikini picture and it's burn. Of course it's burn. It's absolutely burn. Yeah. Man, someday we got to do the John Byrne show, dude. Oh my God. <laughs> so comment, comment and let us know if you want us to do the show about John Byrne. Um, guys, guys, please. <laughs> I am begging you ask for the John Byrne show. Oh my God. Good things to say. Bad things to say. Incredibly awful things that he said. Oh, just so much. But I think that's going to do it for today. Hopefully you've enjoyed sort of the the dive into the history of the character of She-Hulk and why you should care about the current TV show and why you should give it a chance if it's something that you're potentially into. Uh, but as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, if you have any questions for us, send them in podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you have show themes, send them in to us. Uh, Hit us up on our Discord server. Patreon supporters get first dibs in the Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, again, we understand times are tough. Money can be tight. Uh, But listening to us and sharing that is also a form of support, which, you know, do that. Show your friends. Give send them links to our shows. But you can ask us questions in the page uh, the uh, the Q and podcast questions 
uh, channel that's set aside for non-patrons, and we will look there as well. Uh, but I do want to thank you folks for joining us. We'll see you next week.